Today we chat orchestration, manifestations and just a hint of inevitability as we chat to Rainbow Rosalind on Benny Asking People Questions. Today I'm joined by a fairy, although as one looks deeper into her career, it feels that using that description, however prevalent it may be in her identity, falls desperately short of who she is and what she represents. Through her music, she encourages and entices the listener to be themselves, to be comfortable with themselves and to celebrate it in others. Through her television show, she encourages and entices the listener to explore the greater world around them and share in its wonder. Through her parties, she encourages and entices her audience to engage in the beauty of magic. In fact, it's her ability to entice and encourage that is the constant. A constant within a world where she seems at utmost comfort to flex her ability to challenge and to reinvent herself. She is tireless, it would appear, and I'll do my best to keep up with her today. I am, of course, talking about Rosalind Manowitz, aka Rosie, aka Rainbow Rosalind, um, and she's here with me today all the way from New Zealand. Hi, Rosalind. Thanks for joining me. Hello, thank you for having me. Um, it's an absolute pleasure. Now, with um, as with most guests whom I'm just getting to know, I need a little bit of a backstory and a few moments on who you are. Your About page talks about you studying abroad and then quickly finding your passion to write for children. So in, um, mm. I guess, in, you know, the briefest way possible, how did it mm. happen and how quick was it? Well, um, yeah, so I guess I, I did. I just uh, found this burning passion for writing children's music. I sort of, I guess I started with writing songs maybe for adults. and But the first song, probably like the first or second song that I wrote, it just came out sounding like a children's song. And I thought, that sounds like, <laughs> like, <laughs> that sounds like a children's song. And then I just sort of went with the flow. And, um, and yeah, I've been doing it ever since. How, how old and were you when that happened, to, vaguely? When? Um, vaguely meaning was, you can use your stage age for this rather than no yeah you're kids. right I was I, <laughs> I do remember the year I started writing children's music so I would have been 17 wow or okay. 18 yeah I, yeah and it is funny actually now that you mention it that I was so young because I have a son and um I'm a lot older than 17 now <laughs> that was years ago actually um but I have a son and a lot of people say to me oh did you start writing children's music when you had your son to to start writing for him and that is how a lot of children's musicians begin um but but I then they're quite surprised when I say no I was actually writing long before he came and they just think oh that's such a random thing to come about <laughs> yeah well it is actually a real anomaly you i mean you you're, you're one of the rarities in this in this genre because it is it is just simply how most people do it they're musicians they have children they look mm. around for something that appeals to them they can't find it so yeah. they write their own music but but i guess that is also mm. what separates you um i th- i think i think in the content that you do I think it does, you can see that separation in you. I mean, I think everything you do is kind of geared really towards this bigger career. You know, you haven't just settled on music. Mm. You've sort of moved into television and all these other things. Mm. Um, Was it just music or have you just always from your heart gone, I just feel my gift, if I shall be so 
arrogant to use it. Um, <laughs> you know, have you always sort of thought that's where I should gear my talents, just towards children? Um, I've always loved kids and I think um, probably – yeah, like thinking about that separation between people that do it geared towards music they're making for their kids. And um, when I think about it like that, I, I think almost my one my career almost came from a place of me finding and reconnecting with my inner child. And so I'm almost, you know, doing it from the perspective of a child. And I really love um, when my music can actually reach adults in that way and the parents of these kids because <laughs> you're also so, it's so unexpected you're like oh my god didn't even think yeah. about the adults <laughs> that's right like I've done a hundred percent done it for the kids but then there are times when mm. adults write to me and I've really hit them in their inner child feels and and they sort of like they've never taken that moment to reconnect with their inner child and I think that's such an important thing yeah that is another anomaly I mean that, I guess that's the thing when parents write when when musicians become parents and write they're also half you know one foot's in entertaining children but the other foot is about entertaining themselves and entertaining adults mm. and it is quite rare to find someone who really is it's like you know what hey if it works for adults that's great but that's not why I'm here mm. I also think the inner child thing really comes down to um total immaturity but anyway let's go on to the, <laughs> <laughs> the next question yeah, well, um, it's, no. I think yeah <laughs> no, I, know you, <laughs> I think that it's sort of like um you know when we're kids like like for example, if I stand up in a group, um, in a performance with with a hundred kids, and I say, "Okay, now everyone, um, put put your arms up in the sky, and now make a farting noise, and just like do totally <laughs> silly stuff with them, and make them do silly dance moves, and make a fool of themselves," then they just do it. They don't think twice about it, and they don't think of the humiliation and the shame. And I think that is what gets squashed out of people from society yeah. as we're growing up. And so by the time adults, if you stand up in front of a crowd of adults and ask them to do that, they're unlikely to do it because they have this next layer of shame and humiliation and, oh, what will people think of me? And they're so self-conscious and I want to knock it back out of them because yeah. I think the way we had it when we were kids and we didn't have that that awareness and self-consciousness, that was that's how we're supposed to be, you know? To start at 2016, obviously, with um, and excuse my um, uh, my pronunciation, Aotearoa, home That's of our okay. hearts. Is that is that Aotearoa? Aotearoa. Yeah. Um, now this this was a pretty big deal. I mean, it, it was you know that that song won clip of the year. It's not not a bad way mm-hmm. to essentially kick off your career. Mm. Yeah, it was exactly that because it was at the very start of my career, um, and and it was it was the most amazing thing to happen. I um, I sort of had um, come from Auckland, um, and I just moved back to my hometown in Dunedin, and um, that was when I started to. I'd written all of these children's songs over the years, um, and then 
Well, actually, so if we delve a little deeper, when I Do was it. living um, in when I was living in Auckland at the other end of the country, um, and I I was in quite like a um, negative situation there, sure. and quite a controlling situation. And when I sort of broke free of that, um, I just was sort of like drunk on the freedom and the liberation of sort of, I can do whatever I want and I can make mm. whatever I want of myself um, instead of just tiptoeing around life, you know. Mm. Um, and so when I did that, I, I had been writing all of these kids' songs over the last few years and I was moving back to Dunedin and I remember ringing up the library here and just saying, I've written all these kids' songs and I'd love to just come and perform them to kids and just see how it goes. And so they set me up with this um, show in the story pit in the school holidays. And I remember I went back up to Auckland to get my car and drive my car down to Dunedin, which was um, a trip that takes a couple of days. And on the way, I think it was it was that trip or, or somewhere around that time anyway in my life, um, on the way I filmed that, that music video for Aotearoa, Home of Our Hearts, and um, it was just like a very um, home video style, style video. And I just, I filmed like, um, going yeah just driving down the country um just some moments with my son and just it was yeah very basic home style video it, it is but it, but it's it's incredibly complex i mean I, th- I think we all you know we are in the world now where we can do these things we can grab our phone and go hey i'll just go get images mm. of that but i think looking over it you know then it's almost exactly what i was going to ask it does from the outside look very simple but it's actually it's a very involved clip. I mean, there is a lot of footage in it, <laughs> and it's um, like I don't I don't think it's as simple as as you uh, may pass it off. Because I think also what's interesting is the one thing about it is, even though it's home style, there is something very there's something very I don't think celebratory is the word. I think there's something very rejoicing about the clip. And it's interesting that you should now say the situation you were in at the time. There was, mm. I mean, it feels like, and now now understanding where you were at the time, I can sense in that clip there's a real release. There's a real joy in that clip. Mm. Are you conscious yeah. of that joy or is that just? No, not until now. <laughs> but, I mean, the in the, t- in the name of the song and the chorus, you know, I'm saying New Zealand, the home of our hearts and I, I guess it was now I'm thinking of it sort of a homecoming song for me because I'm mm. I was returning to my hometown at that time and and to be with my family and um I think you know I just wanted to capture the essence of how people feel in this country um and how it feel how it felt as a child growing up here and all of those special moments that I that I experienced in my hometown growing up um, so yeah, I guess it is sort of like a an ode to um, you know being at home, surrounded by loved ones, and 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 the nature, the beautiful nature we have, and all of that. Bare feet in the sand, I leave a trail of footprints right across the land. Gumboots in the mud, I splash and splash all day, cause I just can't get enough. I stare into the sea and I see my reflection staring right back at me in New Zealand, the home. 
This might be a pretty obvious correlation, but I mean, the situation that mm. you were in, um, that you, you know, said before wasn't wasn't the greatest situation. Mm. Did that contribute to a desire to sort of tap into the inner child? Was there was there an element to you oh, sort of just going, I don't want to be an adult. Being an adult's pretty average. <laughs> yeah, I think in a way, but I think it wasn't me sort of running away from being an adult because I don't want to be an adult but I think it was just exploring that being an adult doesn't have to be like this you know and I think when you're in a toxic situation often you do lose yourself mm. and you you lose your yeah your whole sense of identity and I think it was getting back to that and finding myself again and getting back I really think when we are kids that is our truest form of ourselves mm. and I think I think, you know, when you look at, at kids, they, you know, that's, that's, that's basically who they are. And anything beyond that is either them growing more into themselves or mm. um, away from that path because of societal expectations yeah. or other people. So I think, you know, it was getting back to the root of, of, of who I really am and finding that inner child was a huge part of that. Yeah, almost starting again, so to speak. Okay, so you've got an award-winning song and clip. You released your first album, Kia Ora, into 2016. Uh, it's a very yeah. busy and very successful year. Was it pretty rewarding? F I mean, what was the validation like at this stage? It must have been enormous for you. Oh, it was really amazing. So um, that music video was the first thing I ever made, really. Um, I had all these songs. I hadn't recorded them or anything, and I, I just made that music video on a whim. And I entered it in the... Um, in the Children's Music Awards, the New Zealand Children's Music Awards, which, like, I didn't really expect to get anywhere with it. Um, and then it was nominated um, in the top three music videos. So I was flown to Auckland to the New Zealand Children's Music Awards, which was just an incredible experience because I got to meet everyone mm. in the children's industry in New Zealand. And I was like, wow, this is actually this big thing. And and everyone here is so amazing. And I met my my total idol, Susie Cato, who was like, I grew up watching on the TV and really inspired me to do what I do. Um, and so, yeah, I was just sort of exposed to this whole world and was like, wow, like, I feel so honoured to be here. And, um, yeah, that's that's when I won that music video award. But the real, um, the really rewarding thing was meeting all of them and making those beautiful connections. And now I've, I've had so many collaborations mm. with other artists in that group and I have lifelong friends that I met that day. So how so Rainbow Rosalind sort of emerged around this time, didn't it? So Yeah. The funny thing is when I was in 
Auckland. Um, a few years before that, I'd been working, I was studying at uni and I was also working in the weekends at a theme park called Rainbow's End, which is New Zealand's only theme park, basically. They say New Zealand's premier theme park, but really it's the only one. Um, <laughs> it's the best one in all of New Zealand, absolutely. Well, good plug, good plug. Yeah. And that was definitely my dream job of the time because um, I got to dress up as, as a princess and a fairy and, and all these head costumes. And, um, you know, I got to perform for kids and, and do shows, and that was really, really fun. Um, and... I sort of, my workmates sort of like, um, it was sort of an in-joke that they had this name for me, Rainbow Rosalind, they would call me. And um, so it was sort of like vaguely a character then, but it was mostly just like an in-joke between us all. And then um, when I came down to do that first performance at the library in Dunedin, um, they needed a name and I thought, and I was trying to think of a name, I thought, oh, I'll just use Rainbow Rosalind because ha ha ha, that's kind of funny. Um, and then... Um, and then it just kind of stuck. Yeah, and I, here you I, are five I, years later. Going, yeah, hey. but I didn't – it's funny because I didn't really um, connect the fairy thing and the Rainbow Rosalind thing. At that stage, when I gave that performance, I wasn't a fairy. And uh, at the oh, when I got nominated for the awards, um, this Mark Howell, you might, I don't know if you know Mark Howell, he's Captain Cornflakes. <laughs> and he has a, he has a radio No, but I've added him now to my list. <laughs> So he has he has a radio station. He's an ECE teacher as well, and he has a radio station here in Dunedin, um, a radio program for kids' music. And he he wanted me to come in um, for an interview when I got nominated for the awards. And after the interview, he said, "Will you be my co-host for the show?" So I did that for a wee while. And um, wow. anyway. Where I was going with it um, was, ah, uh, yes, this um, this little girl rang in one day, and um, and we were talking um, on the radio station, and for some reason I, I don't remember what we were talking about, but I, I said to her, you know, um, I'm actually a fairy, but it's a secret, so don't tell anyone, and um, she told everyone. <laughs> In Dunedin, everyone in the city, and then you know, I was going to perform at her 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 daycare, and the news on the street was that they're expecting the you to be a fairy when you arrive, so you better be a fairy. So then, oh, I should be a fairy then, and so because of that girl, she was a fairy. He was a pirate. She said, "Why didn't you come and play with me? I'll fly down to." She was a fairy. He was a pirate. He said, I don't think so. See, pirates and fairies just can't be. Oh. And then after a while, I thought, okay, I really, I really want to do this properly. So I sort of shut down the whole operation. Wow. <laughs> and then last year, it was exactly one year ago from a few days ago, um, I, I got all my ducks in a row and I launched with a brand new um, party company um, and it's a limited, like an actual registered company and everything. And what I did is I, I hired lots of performers, so now we have lots of different characters sure. available, not just fairies. So we have mermaids and princesses and superheroes and face painters and balloon twisters and then people wow. can also order a cake and they can have a venue and um, goodie bags and pass the parcel and like Jeez. lots of these add-ons. And so I figured that if I 
can employ people um, and train them up and send them out to do the parties and the weekends, then I can have my weekends back with my son. Mm. And during while he's at school, I can sit in my office and do the admin to coordinate all the parties. Sure. Um, and that's just what would fit with my lifestyle. Yeah. Because that way, you know, my um, sort of long-term goal is that eventually the company could run itself and I would have someone else in that admin role. And then it's just sort of um, a stable a stable career that can support me and just chug along in the background while I am free to go and do some some contract work here and a, and a t- season of TV here and yeah. a live performance. I always know that being a performer is never going to be a stable job where you're getting a wage every week. Well, I guess also too that you've you've, you've built it on a, a certain amount of success that you have had mm. through your your own personal career, and and as you said, like you know that that may not. I mean, fingers crossed, it lasts for eternity, but it it may not. <laughs> and you and mm. you know, and it is a way to go. Well, how do I, how do I build something long term on on the success that I'm having? Um, I don't. You don't yeah. strike me as someone who's ever going to run out of an opportunity to succeed though Rosalind just just off the uh, just off the <laughs> off the small bits you've you've explained to me now um, well yeah I guess you know my mum always <clears throat> the famous saying she always said was um, where there's a will there's a way and I think that sometimes you do have to be a bit resourceful and and mm. think outside of the about ways that you can pursue things <laughs> yeah, totally. And I think that is, and, you know, just to just to roll it back to the age-old argument about, you know, the life of an artist, I mean, I think it's, it is one of the things that people really don't understand is that you have to constantly fight for how you're going to earn that dollar and how it's going to be sustainable yeah. and how it's going to be long-term. And, and you, That's right. And you, and, you know, what you're doing right now that works it is incredibly unlikely to work in five years and <laughs> you know you just, well I mean you know what I mean like it's you, you've kind of yeah. just always got to reinvent your own wheel and, and yeah, find different right. ways I mean, to sell it or re- repackage your own wheel I guess yeah and I think that that being sustainable like you said is is probably the key and I did parties um you know for about five years and I just got so burnt out mm. because I was doing so many all the time, and um, it's, they're so you know, high energy. It's not like you turn up and sit down for two hours and yeah. I mean, they, they, you are on, man. When you go to do a party, you are on. You are available, and you are all the energy that's in the room at that that point. Yeah, <laughs> and I mean, yeah, pretty much. <laughs> yeah. Well, I mean, like you know, and a lot of people say, "Where did you get energy from? Like, how are you so energetic to go and do this and this?" But like, I do, I I do get my energy from the kids. That mm. I really just bounce off of them because they they give so much. Um, but it is it is tiring, and um, I think you do have to work out how to preserve your energy. Um, you do, and you also yeah. need to preserve it for your own children. I, I found one of the biggest yes. things when I yeah. became a parent, being an early childhood teacher, is I really struggled with this idea that I would spend eight hours a day with other people's children, and then yeah. when I'd come home, I'd be exhausted, and all I'd really want to do yeah. is just sit down and watch the news. And and yeah. it was a real issue for me, and I had to really find out how to kind of work that out because it's yeah. different. You are with other people's children 
and you are completely yeah. focused on other people's children, yeah, that it's it's heartbreaking to then go, well, why don't I have that kind of intense focus on my own? Um, yeah, that's yeah, hmm. that's so that's so the exact guilt that I still hmm. struggle with, and that's hmm. to be funny that you were able to articulate that because I've never actually heard someone else say that before. Mm. So yeah, <laughs> thank <quite>. you. Um, <laughs> but I do, I feel like, you know, like I go out and make this huge effort to bring magic to these kids and, and make them smile and, um, and, and sing with them and dance with them. And then I come home to my own son and I'm just exhausted. Yeah, and I, and I'm, and yeah, and people say, oh, you must be such a fun mum. He's so lucky to have a fairy for a mum. And then I just feel so bad. And I think in my head, actually, no, I'm such a boring mum. I'm <laughs> yeah, my son gets tracksuit pants and um, and, a, and, a, and just a sloppy joe. That's what my kid gets. And they get, yeah. and they get frozen uh, peas for dinner. Your nose and wiggle your toes. Okay, well, let, let's talk about your music because there is a, there's there's a, there's an extraordinary thing about you and your music that I just can't talk to you without addressing. So let, let's talk with Keora in twenty sixteen. Um, now I'm I'm led to believe because I've I've had the enormous um, privilege of speaking to a lot of the New Zealand scene now, um, hmm. and I hear you are the orchestral person. Is this really? a fair? Is, is this, this a? Is this, is this, well, I was told. I think it was Chris Lambsam who said it best. I said, "Did you?" He was doing some some job, and I spoke to him about it, and I said, "Oh, that's really." Uh, did you write the orchestral parts? He went, "Oh no, no, that's Rainbow Rosalind. No, no, she does all that. That's her. That's her job." <laughs> but he sort oh, of it was him. it was definitely from a place of like, "Oh God, no, no, you give it, you give it to the best, and she's the best." Oh. But you can hear it immediately in that album. I mean, it's just from the opening track, it is so rich. It is so – there is – I guess the reason I bring it up is because there is a very big difference to someone like me who learns, you know, three chords on a guitar and decides to call himself Mm. a musician and make albums (laughs) and then go, hey, I'm going to put in a violin part. And then what you do, which is real, genuine, genuine – orchestration mm-hmm. and creation of, of these parts. Um, mm. Is that what you're, that you're clearly trained in that, aren't you? Oh, and also in that question, just to double it up, can you <laughs> yeah. make a list of the instruments you don't play? <laughs> Look, there's a lot of instruments I don't play. Um. <laughs> I haven't found one. <laughs> and I've looked really quite extensively, Rosalind, and I haven't found one yet. So anyway... <laughs> Um, I'll have a think about that. But anyway, um, yeah, well, so my parents are both professional musicians. Um, specifically, they're both professional violinists. And um, so growing up, um, there was just always a lot of music around us. And they threw a violin at me when I was two and started teaching me. Wow. And <laughs> wow. Um, yeah, I still have that little violin. Wow. And, um, you know, we would spend our, our our evenings when we were kids um, 
sitting in the in the seats of the town hall while our parents were rehearsing in the orchestra or like wow. for three hours for three hours of the night um and we just sit there doing coloring you know while they and, were and who'd, who'd have thought here um you know 20 odd years later you'd be sitting here going i really feel like i need to spend more time with my own child <laughs> that's right <laughs> I know, and um, well, it was either yeah, it would flick between having a babysitter for the night, just having being at the rehearsal, finding mm. something to do. So I get, without like purposely, you know, really focusing on music, it was sort of more just always there, mm. and I guess sunk into me. But I, I did um, when I was quite young, I'd say like probably maybe. 10 or um I don't know um maybe yeah when I was about 10 I do have this quite distinct memory I um I I bought this um I I begged my mum to buy me this manuscript pad from from the music shop and I was so happy and every second of the day I just um I've never actually like talked about this before so this is really funny it's just like kind of these memories flooding back to me right now um so I, I think off. I think in the journalistic world they call this a scoop, don't they? Or is that I don't know. That's what I'm going with. This is a this is a scoop. Go. <laughs> um, yeah. So I just remember, like every waking moment, I um I was just like um writing out on this manuscript pad. Um, I don't know, just the all this music that was coming to me wow. from my brain. And composing this this music, wow. and um, I remember I remember when I was like I got quite bullied in school in primary school because I don't know I was different and you, they need someone to pick on, um, and I remember you're an exceptional time, you're an exceptional violinist that could write music from your brain onto a manuscript <laughs> pad, and they were enormously threatened and in awe of you, and that's how bullies work, isn't it? When there's something that they recognise is fascinating. They need to deconstruct <laughs> it in the in the worst case possible. Anyway, go on. I, I interject. <laughs> oh well, I just remember like um going hiding behind the bike shed at lunch times, and I would sit there with my pad, my um manuscript pad, and just be right, like write out musical lunchtime. And I remember once these group of girls came and found me, and they're like, "What are you doing?" And they thought it was so weird and so <laughs> dumb. Oh but goodness. anyway. And yeah, and I remember sitting at the in the doctor's office, and I was just writing on this manuscript pad. I wonder if I can find them. Anyway, so I think early on, now that I think of it, um, I probably did have this like I, I, I wanted to, I wanted to create create music, which I suppose was was is something that's a bit different from the rest of my family because they're all performers. And um, I did study performance at uni for a bit and then I just, it just wasn't for me. Um, and what I really took to was was creating something new. I was sort of like, well, this has been mm. done before and the world will keep going. The world will keep going whether I perform this work in the orchestra or someone else performs this work in the orchestra. Someone else on the hundreds of players, of list of players yeah. for the auditions. The world will keep going as normal and everything will be the same. Mm. But if no one creates new things that's going to change people and touch people and move people, then, you know, I think, that, you know, that's that's what's going to change, make change. So, um, and I wanted to reach people that, you know, 
I can sit in an orchestra and I can pay this work and people can pay, pay hundreds of dollars to come and watch the concert. But I, I kind of wanted to reach people that wouldn't normally be exposed to that mm-hmm. and touch them in different ways. But anyway, I I just went off the subject. Um, no, I'm I'm not. I'm I'm listening desperately, <laughs> intently, and it, there's a light drizzle of rain where I'm sitting, and I'm just sort of casting my eye out the window, listening to you talk about this thing. And I, if I have to be honest with you, I I lost myself in the moment. So that was what that was that was my silence. That had nothing to do with boredom. I was all I was thinking is was was capturing that and tracking down those bullies on my own accord and go, <laughs> listen to this, listen to what you tried to stop and look what it turned into. Planting veggies on the narrow Come and join me, it'll be fun Planting veggies one by one Come and join me out in the sun started writing when I wrote the songs for my album I mean originally I just wrote them as songs and then um and then when I went to record them I just um yeah I guess I just felt pulled to to sort of like add in those orchestral instruments and so I wrote out all the parts for um the string quartet and and the pianist and um these different elements and um yeah, I didn't really think twice about it. I just kind of thought yeah, it'll give you. it a good. It's what you. I mean, hey, if you're, if you're sitting behind a, a shed at the age of ten, writing down notation, like <laughs> you know, I never thought about that. Either. Yeah, I think I think that's. I think it's safe <laughs> to say that that's. It was a pretty natural uh, response. Well, let's talk about that because because yeah. you know I was listening. I was listening to planting veggies, which is is in, for me in particular seemed like a quite a. Um, I don't know, quite quite an involved, I guess, orchestration. Mm. I mean, it, it, doing it that way, does it, t- I mean, my question was, does it take you longer to do it that way? But, I, I mean, hey, you seem to be able to do it on your lunch break. <laughs> um, it's pretty quick for me to write out music, I suppose. Recording definitely takes longer when you have to organise more people and, and get them there to the studio and recording together and teaching them the music. But um, planting veggies, I actually is more of a mellow track on the album, and I really wanted to get into that sort of gruntiness of like digging in the soil and the earth mm. and groundedness. So all I have on that track, besides the bass sort of like um, piano and bass or something um is just a cello because i just wanted those like grunty low mm. notes and it feels grounded and it feels like you're digging into the earth um but the yeah so the time in my life really where these two worlds actually collided and sort of went bang <laughs> was um in 2018 when um i I, I had this, I just, I had this really, this idea I was really passionate about. And I, I, um, I won the um, SOUNZ Sounds. Um, I won the, this award called um, the Sounds Community Commission Award, which is, is given to one New Zealand composer each year wow. for a particular, for a particular um, project. And so my project was called Rainbow Rosalind meets the orchestra. Yes, yes. And um, so 
what I did was um, I put on this show in the in the town hall, and two thousand people came. It was amazing, um, and I sung. I, I sung with the orchestra and I wrote 12 songs and each different song introduced um, an, a different element of the orchestra. So there was a song about the string section, about the mm. wind, the brass, um, and about percussion. The percussion song was a rap. And then there was a song um, you know, about the conductor and bowing and tuning and all of the things that make up the experience of, of coming to an orchestra concert. Because I just feel like, um, I feel like there's this huge gap where you're not going to take along a, a young child to come and mm. watch the orchestra and sit through a four hour long symphony, um, you know, where there's this societal expectation mm. for them to sit still be quiet and not make any sound and just appreciate the music. And that's just not how kids work, yeah, you know. That's yeah. just not. And so I think because of that cultural expectation from the classical music world that's been there for centuries, um, because of that, a lot of kids just aren't exposed to classical mm. music at all or these instruments. And what they do here is what's on the radio great that's pop um but they you know almost a lot of the time they don't actually know where those sounds are coming from mm. and that they actually come from instruments and you can make those sounds yourself you yeah. know and so with this show um what i did was i i removed all of the um chairs from the front half of the ground floor of the town hall Beautiful. and i made this kitty mosh pit and they could just dance around and sing and scream and do whatever they wanted um with no expectations and i made the the show free people had to reserve tickets but i made it free because i really wanted to yeah, get people yeah. along only have that opportunity i mean i don't know what it's like in new zealand but there is an expectation here that if it is an orchestral performance you just assume it's quite costly as well Yes, you know, exactly. it's, it's it's not a cheap it's not a cheap enterprise to yeah. either be involved in or to go and watch. That's right. And you might hear the doing call or the kiwi in the night. But watch your step as you go. The tuatara might give you a fright. But that's alright. Look! What? It's interesting you talk about, you know, you're not going to take kids along to see a four-hour thing. Mm. And, and But also talking about the, the show, Ros, Rosalind and the orchestra, mm. Rosie and the orchestra, because because you're, the, the actual album, um, the actual album, Kiora, is, is, is still got very long songs. I mean, I, I think the Rainbow mm. Song hits seven and a half minutes, which, which is quite long. <laughs> However, in, in saying that, it feels like a live album. And I don't mean performed mm. live, but it feels like it's come directly from the stage. And and I sort of wonder if, like, again, mm. the difference between me adding a violin and you orchestrating something is you have a more intimate relationship with the idea of orchestration. And so seven and a half minutes is, is <laughs> A, not very long, but B, yeah. it's also, um, it's much more of a, Journey. I mean, I think that's what I found with your music, mm. listening to the orchestration is, is you know, I, when I scrolled through the timings of the songs, I was kind of going, whoa, this is like seven minutes, six, this is quite extreme. <laughs> but then listening to the songs, I was kind of going, I don't know, I kind mm. of feel I can, I, it's almost, there's a real, and I use this because I can't think of anything else, but it's, there's a real Peter and the Wolf element 
to your mm. to the orchestration yeah. of the songs, you know. Like I, I feel like there is a both a musical, not so much a lyrical, but there is a musical journey that I'm on. Mm-hmm. And so yeah. seven and a half minutes, which ordinarily I'd say if it was just verse, chorus, verse, chorus, bridge, I would say that's mm. totally insane. As with your music, yeah. seven and a half minutes just goes, yeah, well, that's how long that song needs to be. I mean... Yeah, that's really that's really interesting, eh? And I guess like in the classical music world, if if you went and watched an orchestra, like if for an orchestra to play a piece that's two minutes long, um, would be unheard of. You want your money back? Yeah, they'd never do that. And then I think that nowadays we're so used to um, hearing pop songs that are two minutes long and you know hearing these short spirits of of music and that's sort of what songs are and I think um that's really funny because the rainbow because there are short songs on my album like jump which is like two minutes or something. yeah I know but, I was, I was just looking the, over them for the sake of the question no yeah it's really <clears> didn't, didn't, it didn't suit my uh, my train of thought so I just went I'll ignore those no, ones yeah. and... <laughs> because I um I think um with the rainbow song um people were saying to me well, I was still making the album like that's like insanely long for a kid's song. Like they'll just lose attention span. Like I don't think you should put it on the album. And then I was like, you know what? Um, why can't we slowly help these kids to hold their attention span for a little bit longer? Because eventually, um, you know, they might want to sit through a whole symphony. And what you know? So why can't we just slowly? expose them to things that are a little bit long you know I'm I'm just not a fan of always doing things the way that things have always been done just because they've always been done that way no and I also I also <laughs> no I agree and I think there's also that thing of um you know it's okay to reach one child I think you know we often yeah. overlook that, that 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 ability and look you know if seven and a half minutes is too long they can go they can skip it you know that's an easy process yeah. to do but if you have that three-year-old that's been playing violin for one year who in seven years from now will be mm-hmm. sitting behind the shed writing out notation on a bit of paper that they brought from home, yeah. seven and a half minutes might mean the world to them and open up a possibility that they've never considered before. Yeah, you and know, I guess what, as so well... Does it like, matter? Just does it matter? doesn't matter. Yeah, and I, I guess like with songs, like the other thing is the Rainbow Song is like a very slow, mellow sort of song. And if I was going for a song that was like, do this action and do this action and da-da-da-da and trying to get them involved and engaged the whole time, then seven minutes might be too long. But I think with this song, it's more like the, the, the parents might play it while the kids are lying on the ground having some quiet time or having a nap or, you know, it's it's not necessarily something they need to be involved with from the start to finish. No, and you can't, I mean, you can't do a song about jumping for seven minutes, <laughs> you know, it can only be two minutes yeah. long. I mean, yeah, precisely. <laughs> and so I sprinkle my fairy dust upon my shoulders, spring off the ground, spread my wings, I'm getting closer. Let's bounce through the clouds, let's shoot around the moon. Let's fly The album comes out 2016. From what I can really see, there's not really much mm-hmm. going on till 2019 when you have the <clears throat> kindness song with Kath B. Yeah. Now, obviously, in that time, there's a lot of other stuff going on. But but why why such a break? Like, why is there not? Why have you not 
done another album, I guess. Yeah. What really happened was I did that album and then um and then that went really well and I actually um I performed that album at some shows and I went overseas. I went to um Fiji actually and performed these um which was a really amazing experience i performed these songs at at orphanages and schools over there and um then i came back and i i started work on so i i i got the orchestra show commission um and that was in 2017 and then i spent a few months writing out the all of the parts for everyone in the orchestra for all of these songs um and it was it was quite um it was quite a rush at the end I I didn't actually spend that long over it because I I had a deadline and was like oh my gosh and so it probably was only yeah it was it was a very short time frame that I that I wrote that but um and then we performed the orchestra show so I guess I was very very consumed anyway yeah for a while how did you tour the show in Fiji? Did you, did you use playback or were you taking players with I just you? Took, I just took my guitar and um, I just played acoustically. And um, wow. it, was, it, was, it was an amazing experience because they had never heard, they'd never heard music before that was made just for them. They'd never heard kids' music before, a lot of them. Whoa. And a lot of them had never seen a fairy before. Um, but I think that really, you know, that, that can make people feel special when they've never, mm. like, and, and you've never heard music that's geared towards you and your interests and things that you do in real life. Um, you yes. know, you've only sort of heard that's made for adults. Having somebody speak directly to you is, is enormously empowering, mm. regardless of what age you are, let alone when you're a mm. child. While I was skipping down the street with a smile on my face Oh, how I'd love to glide and twirl around with such grace When suddenly I saw it out of the corner of my eye A tiny sparkle Hidden in the bush nearby And so I ran to see what I had found It was covered in leaves on the ground And as I swept them away it revealed a and as I turned the key, to my delight, it unlocked. It was a As I suspected, there was going to be a lot to talk about. So in, in, the, in the general interest <laughs> to keep this interview under three hours. Um, so I want to talk Code Fun. Um, but before, before I get into Code Fun, I just want to check what your relationship with Mary Phillip is. So she, she, Mary Phillips is the trustee of Turn Up the Music, which I believe is the producer mm-hmm. of Rosie and the Orchestra. Um, it will so Turn Up the Music Mary- was the producers because also mm. um, because then Mary Phillips was also the producer of the seminal show You and Me with Susie Cato, who you then yeah. work with. So I kind of feel like Mary is this so, catalyst for a lot of your world. Oh, she's absolutely incredible. So um, oh, where do I start? Mary is the director um, of a company called Pickled Possum Productions and this is a, a TV production company and and they created um, You and Me and Susie's World, so Susie Cato shows back in the day and they also produced um, shows like Sticky TV, um, a lot of 
kids shows that have been on in New Zealand over the past however many years um, and Mary's at the top of the chain so she sure. she 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 and um, I auditioned for Mary um, a couple of years ago when I just there were just auditions that she was holding for a kids TV show um, for general kids TV shows so um, I went and auditioned for her and yeah, it's it's funny, you know. I don't I don't mean to like into this hoodoo voodoo stuff, but <laughs> when I Mary and I just met her in the audition, and she did did different things with me to to get me to try things in different mm. ways, and you know, audition, and I just had this um this like just knowing feeling that I just knew that we were going to work together in the future. Mm. Like it just clicked and it felt so connected and it felt so right. Uh, are and you I, conscious if she felt, did she get the same feel? I mean, she must have. It's been well, an incredible yeah. partnership between the two well, of you. Well, the funny thing is that um, I didn't hear back from that audition as you, as you do. And I and I just, just thought, oh, yeah, well, I didn't, you know, you just assume you didn't get the audition. But I still just I just felt like I knew that we would do something together and that it would happen and then um and then one day probably two years later or something she reached out to me and since meeting me at the audition all that time ago she had created this show that I would be um presenting wow so she'd she'd met me and she'd seen what I do and that I play these instruments and wow and and so she um, created this show around it that would be me and um, an animated robot called Digi, my yep. co-host. Yep. And um, and then and then yeah, she just one day said, "Right, this is what we're doing." And um, and it was actually amazing serendipity. So we um, we, we we filmed the pilot of of this show, the pilot episode, and it's really funny because. Kyoto, which is the first song on my album and the name of the album, um, I had written that you know years and years yeah. before that, <clears throat> and um, I remember I just I, I remember writing it and I was sitting on this wharf um, somewhere um, higher in New Zealand, and um, I was sitting there with my ukulele and I wrote the song and I remember thinking in my head because you know you just sort of like dream and you just envisage how your songs would be sure. like portrayed to the world. And I was thinking in my head, yeah, this would be like the welcome song of like of me my TV show, and I would be like, Kia ora, wow. and it'd be like welcoming everyone to the show. And so anyway, we're filming this pilot for this um, new show, Code Fun, years and years later, and I'd never done TV presenting before, but it was always my dream, so it was an amazing experience. And Mary had heard my music, otherwise. And um, we'd never talked about this before or anything, but um, then she says, okay, so, um, you know, your song, Kia so I'm thinking that could be, like, the welcome song for each episode of this show. And oh I was just goodness. like, what? Wow. So I think that was sort of one of those moments when you think, did I just manifest that? Yeah. Like. <laughs> the question and and I don't I don't want this to to come out incorrectly but but a, a genuine a, a genuine question I mean I are, are you it, it feels like a lot of your career and and in some respects the your life that the, the small bits that you've you've shared 
exists very much on this serendipitous kind of almost <laughs> yeah. visualizing kind of element. Like you, you, it's almost like you're you're unaware of what's going to happen it's in magic. five years. Yeah, but but you, yeah, but you feel, but it's almost like you do feel quite emotionally connected to what potentially is going to yeah. happen to you in five years. I mean, is it is it is it that way for you? I mean, is that something you believe in personally that you you actually consciously trying to manifest what you think should or mm. could happen? Or do you just feel there's a real strong instinct in you that often has a good payout? You know what? I um I I never really knew about manifesting and about um you know believing things and then and then them coming true. And only because of all of this happening now, I'm a big believer in it. But I there's this quote. <laughs> it's so random, but um <clears throat> I was watching the Cars movie with my son one day. It was like. Of course, of course, he took me. I mean, Rosalind, of course, out of everyone I know, you're going to go, hey, there's a really good quote I live my life by in a Pixar movie. So I was watching, I think it was Cars 3, and um, with my son. And I, oh my gosh, I just cried when I heard this quote because I just, it all sort of clicked. And um, I heard, so there's this, this lady, well, there's a car. And but she's a lady in the car, and <laughs> and so she's she's sort of training, um, she's training what Lightning McQueen, yeah, and um, she's always wanted to be a racer herself, but she never did it, and she ended up being a trainer, and and she she's she never did it because she was scared of failing, basically, yeah. um, and she said to Lightning McQueen as he was leaving, just one more, just. Just one question, please. Just answer me this. How? Oh, what did she say? She said something like, um, "How did you do it? Like, how did you have the courage to just do it, um, even though, like, if you could fail or whatever?" I can't mm. remember what the exact question. Is. And he says, "I never thought I couldn't." And mm. I was just like, "Like that just made so much sense to me because I was just like, I never had this doubt in my mind mm. when I was younger." that I couldn't do something. I just thought everything was possible. And I think in some cases that actually makes all the difference because I just sort of went on a, on a, on a whim and just like did all these things and I did them because I just thought, um, there's, there's no reason can why you can't. That. Yeah. There's no reason why I can't. And I, and I remember like on my first day of university when I was like 18 or something, um, it was like orientation day and um, we had to turn to the person next to us and say like what we wanted to do for our career, like what we wanted to, our ultimate goal, like what we wanted to do when we grow up kind of thing. And most of the students didn't know what they wanted to do, which was fine. Um, but I turned to the girl next to me and I said, um, you know Susie Cato? And she was like, yeah. Everyone knows Susie Cato. I was like, I'm going to be like Susie Cato and I'm going to have a kids' TV show. And she was like, wow, that is so weirdly specific in particular, but like go you that you know what you want to do. And like, and and the thing is, I, I was never like, oh, I, I want to, you know, oh, I, I would love to have a show. I was like, oh, I'm going to, like, this is what I'm doing. Like, I'm going to have a, <laughs> I'm going to have a TV show and it's going to be like Susie Cato's show. And then it all just really happened that, like, I met Mary and mm. she literally found, like, Susie Cato for, and yeah. made Susie show. And then she found me and made my show. Kia ora, thank you for coming. Kia ora, on this beautiful 
goes back to the question because because I think I think what you're talking about is very different to ambition, and and I th- I feel I got the sense with you and kind of what I touched on at the start is that is this there's a sincerity behind what you do and I think you've you've explained it quite well like this real genuine I mean you feel you feel connected to the lives of children you know like you do, you feel like you you move in that same space. And I think when you have such belief and confidence in that thing that you feel you are good at, it's inevitable that you are just, a, the assumption is, well, this will be my life. And I think that's what you're saying, particularly to the, the girl, uh, the, the person sitting next to you in the in university. I mean, I think, I think what's really fascinating about that is I still don't look at that as ambition. I look at that as just being really um, intrinsically connected to, I guess, the path that has potentially <laughs> been chosen for you. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, well, it is weird, eh, because people sort of ask me what sort of like my motive was in the beginning, that why I wanted to do this or like what made me want to do it or why I started to. doing it. And uh, yeah, it's weird because it's more just like I, I I I took a pen and wrote the music on the paper because it was what was flooding out of my brain. Like mm. I I just kind of did it because I was just sort of like prompted to. Like I just I just it just happened, and I was just writing this kid's music for no reason. That's basically how it was. And then after that, then I went okay, why am I writing kids' music? Mm. Um, I love kids and I love performing and it was awesome to connect with the kids. And But I was like, what? What? what is the meaning behind this? And then I thought, well, kids, you know, and adults um, take in so much more when it's in a song. And I thought, well, I can actually use this to send really important messages in my songs. And... Um, you know, now basically my whole philosophy is, which like sounds really crazy. I said this to someone the other day and they probably thought I was totally bonkers. <laughs> <laughs> but um, I, I, I think that, you know, there's, there's so much fighting in the world at the moment and there's so much war and there's just so much negativity in all the world. Yeah. And I think that if we can raise the next generation with um with these messages of of self-love and with so much kindness and empathy for other people and just love then um by the time this generation (laughs) moves on and um you know by the time we get one or two generations down um all of that fighting and negativity will be phased out because the, that generation will just have so much love in their hearts and, and, and have so much kindness and empathy for everyone else. I, I, no, no, I agree. I have, a, I have my own little saying that I bring out, you know, at, at cocktail parties to make myself feel important um, where I just say we're always, we're always only ever one generation away from better policy making and... Mm-hmm. You know, I think, I think, you know, if you look just anything, you look at the way childcare is treated, or, or any, like particularly in, in my country, um, mm-hmm. or in the country I live, the, you know, mm-hmm. we are always, it's it's hard to change the people that are in power, but 
what you what you want is the next person that comes into power to just be a little bit more enlightened and a bit more yeah. in tune with that. And 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 you're right. I mean, it it, it does, and and it's ridic and it and it feels ridiculous because I think we're made to feel it to be ridiculous. But it is the children. Mm. The children are are the next in line and 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 if you yeah. want to change something you've got to change it there that's where you need to start yeah you need to start right at the mm. beginning um uh, now i'm just going to be very boring and just wind it back to the music for a moment um yeah. how you do do you do the incidental music for code fun yeah so um because it's very different to what you normally do isn't it it feels oh it is yeah it's very it feels all very synthesized and not you know what i mean like it's a bit more mechanical and a bit more yeah definitely um so what happened was i had gotten this job as as the presenter of this tv show great dream job and i sat down for breakfast one day with mary and she said right so here's your contract for being the presenter of Code Fun, and here is your contract for being the composer. Oh my and goodness! Then I looked, <laughs> I looked at her and I said, "Wait, what?" And then she was like, "Oh yeah, I want you to make the music. I like your music." And then I was like, uh, "Oh, wow. okay," and um, which was really ridiculous because wow. they've always used the same guy for like twenty years or whatever, and he oh makes incredible God. music. And um, I said to her, "Well, I." Well, anyway, what happened in the end was I was like, I, I can I can write music, but I actually, I've never recorded music before. I always go to a studio and do it um, with a sound tech. And they worked out, well, it'd be cheaper if we just gave you gear and taught you how to do it if we sent you to a studio every single time. So... They threw all this recording gear at me and set it up in my house and the sound tech from the studio came from the TV studio. He came to my house and gave me a crash course in how to record my music with this gear. Um, so now I have this home recording studio. And um, <laughs> he gave me this crash course in a day and then they were like, well, off you go. And it's, it's, it's really funny actually because um, – Kath B, who you've probably spoken yeah, to, yeah, yeah, she's yeah. she's a really good friend of mine. We talk every day. She she always says about me that um that I that I have this really crazy um thing I do where like I go oh I, I've never done that before. I don't know how to do that, but yep, I'll do it. And then I somehow just do it. Oh my goodness! <laughs> and she always just. She always just cracks up laughing at that because the first time it happened was when I did the orchestra show. And I was like, well, I can write songs, but I don't know how to write for full orchestra, but I'll try. And then I just, yeah. And so I was like, look, I'm going to try make my song Kyora. Like I'm going to try write it for, like write a part for everyone in the orchestra. Like, um, and then, and then, if I can do that, then I can do the whole show. So I'll just see how I go. Otherwise, I'll, I'll like have to get someone who's an orchestrator and they can do it. So I wrote out Kyoto for orchestra, and and I was like, oh, I can do that. Okay, cool. And <laughs> and Kath was like, what did you? How did you? What? Like, <laughs> I think it's also. I think there's, there's also a fine line between accepting like. You know, I was going to ask, like, are you comfortable in those scenarios? I mean, do you feel comfortable and confident when you're challenged with things you don't know? But then I guess the the flip Mm. side to that is it's one thing to have the belief that you can just do it. It's another thing to be 
consistently supplied the opportunity to try it. I think that's yeah. a thing. It's not even about that you feel you can do it. I think it, it feels like everyone around you thinks you can do it. Oh, that's totally it. And 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 I was like, well, Sounds has has believed in me that this much that they're giving me this commission and paying me to do this job. And how do they know I can write for orchestra? But I guess if they think I can do it, then I can. And and Mary, you know, she did just really take a chance with me. And I thought, like, wow, you know, um, like I feel honoured that she she took that chance when mm. she could have taken someone that's really experienced in this field. And she also could have gotten a presenter who's really experienced. And I've never worked on TV before. And she she chose me. And, and that, that belief in me, you know, probably – boost your own belief in yourself yeah, and, you've got and to honor all that. you can do is try yeah and all you can do is try at the end of the day you mm. know like the, the worst that can happen is you can't do it well yeah I, I, I it depends like i think if it was something totally out, like outside the box like um if it was like jump in and play this rugby game for this professional team <laughs> i would probably just put my foot down there yeah, and be like, I, I would i, I would definitely living in new zealand i would recommend strongly you don't choose to play for the all blacks <laughs> so i just didn't give that one a big miss a picnic in the park a picnic in the park a picnic in the just also that thing of just you know it, it you talk about she you know you talk about um mary taking the chance on you but then at the same time i kind of go she's in a position where she's not going to take a risk yeah and and so she she never saw it as being a risk or taking a chance she just saw something that either you didn't realize you had or whatever but mm. you know which seems to be a consistent through your career um if we aren't if we aren't yeah, talk- well, sorry go on oh no well it is, yeah it is interesting because then it's like i i just i kind of go down this train of thought of like why does she think i can do that because i've never like as you say like incidental music so i you know from what she would have seen from my career and what is my career i've written songs um i've always written songs and um code fun is so different because it's it's about a robot and the music is very electronic and it's it's like beep, boop, beep, boop, 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 mm. and these random like they're like okay can you please create for us a three minute uh, a three minute 30 seconds um electronic dance track but it's just electronic. It's no, there's no mm. voice or melody. Like it's, it's just purely. So then I'm just sitting down with this um, wow. keyboard, figuring out all these random noises, and then and then making a track out of that. And then, um, and then you know all the little stings of like this. Yeah. This was funny, and this means that there's something went wrong. And um, this, but I had it, so much fun. Has it changed? your writing style like i mean if for argument's sake if you were to make a new out if somebody turned around which they probably will by the end of today if someone turned around and went here's some money please go make a second album do you think it would yeah be, do you think it would be vastly different to kiora yeah i think so because um i mean even with some single tracks that i've made since then i have taken advantage of of those um those sort of like electronic techniques that, that that you can use and just like putting in a drum beat so easily to use for the whole song 
um, and and having like little special effects over the top and um, you know like I think a lot of it is that it's more convenient and a lot of it is that there's such a a, a wider range of sounds that you can use. Yeah, I think also too you're in a particular country that thrives and 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 prides itself on collaboration with the other artists and and I think yeah. you know doing all and and so you know it's almost a necessity to be able to be pretty self-sufficient and do that at home for the exchange of ideas. Mm. I do have a quick question about Code Fun because we might have to wrap it up in a minute if that's okay because yeah. we have officially clicked over for an hour. Um <laughs> so the show celebrates and encourages children to engage more deeply with technology and now I have to admit <laughs> that is what I've read unfortunately I haven't I'm unable to get them over in my my um my VPN yeah. over here in this country so you know if, if if that's the kind of thing that we're talking about you know that that idea of you know working you know having DG as your as the co-presenter and so on and so forth mm-hmm. where does the dung beetle song fit into all of that <laughs> um so yeah, because <laughs> it, it goes for like fifteen seconds or something, and I just went. Oh, you know, and I was like, going, know, like oh, this... that doesn't. That seems quite. And I love it, but that seems. Where does that fit in a show that I, I'm, I'm unable to yeah. watch? Well, the show does so many different things. It's actually, it's really crazy. Like. I just think the scriptwriters are so clever um, the way they sort of bring so many different elements into it mm. and then tie it all together. And we're, like, I'm speaking in um, in English and in Māori and in New Zealand Sign Language, and then um, Digi's doing the same. And then they bring in all these elements of music where I pop up every episode with a different instrument. And then we're using the, the music to code the viewers mm. to... Um, program them to do different things and then we're coding digi and it's encouraging this um computational thinking in small children where they can start thinking okay i have this um you know i have these things in front of me what's the step what are the steps i need to Mm. take to the end result that i need and um and the dung beetle song so in 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 the first season a lot of it was based on music that was that was sort of the big theme of it and from there um you know the music sort of brought the coding about but in the second season um the big thing was um nature and wildlife so there's we used a lot of new zealand native animals Mm. and um and we each episode we sort of introduced a new animal and what they do and how they function and um, I guess that episode was about the dung beetle and that's really funny because <laughs> this is how the music works a lot of the time is that the script writers will write into the script they'll they'll put in the script the lyrics of the song that I that will be a song and then I need to create a melody for it and um, this one was a rap. So yeah, oh, I've heard it. It's amazing. <laughs> just <needed a> beat. <laughs> oh, so funny. Um, now we might have to wrap it up there, Rosalind, because I, I sort of feel like this could go on again for another hour, quite. <laughs> quite comfortably because I kind of I did actually have when I was originally writing this this all the questions down and thing I did have a moment I was like going I wonder if it's too much just to say 
okay, go talk. <laughs> Tell me about your, your career and just sit back and, and listen in and, and throw my two cents in. And you know what? It almost went that way. And I'm, and I'm, and I'm glad, I'm glad because it, it means at least, like, oh, man. yeah, well, no, it just means at least that I was, I was, you know, I was on the, on the right path. Cause it, cause it is, it's an extraordinary career and it's, and it's sort of, I think it's extraordinary based upon how it developed and and what it and what it means to or or, or or what it represents about you I think more importantly and and you know we we might on the outside look look in and go wow it's really blessed you know you just walk down the street and someone says hey you look you look like you should have your own TV show but the reality of it is I think it's it's that classic thing that you 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 live this world so intently and and honestly that it can't help but become a, a, an enormous signature of your life um and you know you've touched very briefly on things that have clearly brought unhappiness and times when you needed to find resilience that you may not have known you had and mm. I don't want to use it in a positive because it's always good to find positive, but it's also really good to acknowledge that just some stuff just didn't need to happen. And yeah. I just think, though, that what it has created in you is is something extraordinary that I think children are able to really benefit from. And, um, you know, I, I think that's really that's really unique and I and that uniqueness is heard in all the things you do and um so thanks <laughs> <laughs> thank you it was it was um it was nice just sort of um word vomit all of that stuff out <laughs> yeah no it was, it was a pleasure it's as I said it's a very fascinating career and and you know and look you know we barely even really touched on the content it was really more just how it all came about but it's um but I'm really grateful for your time today and thank you so much for yeah for relaxing into the the idea of of being open about your your world and the things that you've you've created yeah thank you for having me it's been really lovely to chat and if you'd like to know more about Rosalind, then head along to her website at www.rainbowrosalind.co.nz. And of course, for more Benny Time goodness, head along to www.bennytime.com. Thanks for listening to me, Benny. Ask Rosalind questions. 